0: Hi, I'm Rochelle, and you're listening to Boxbox box F1 Pod. Today we're debriefing the Hungarian Grand Prix, which as far as Grand Prix go was pretty all over the place. By the way, if you want to play a fun drinking game, I'm pretty sure I said Ferrari needs to get their shit together at least 20 times. So keep an eye out for that. But before we dive into reviewing the race, it's time for the digital warm-up. Do do. Lap one, outfit of the day. All right, going for a very uh, speedy outfit of the day today, I'm going to focus on the ones I hated the most, really. Uh, First up, Guan Yu in head-to-toe white Prada, including the bucket hat, and a bucket hat is, like, the accessory to have around the paddock these days. In fact, I hear is coming out with his own line of bucket hats, but that's neither here nor there. Um, That's neither here nor there. Uh, Guan Yu stepped out in a head-to-toe white Prada outfit, including the bucket hat, and he looked great as he always does. He was also on the cover of a Chinese magazine um, where he posed in a collection of outfits and looked incredible in every single one of them. So, killing it as per. Um, next up, I'm just going to quickly go through the good Louis outfits. Um, he wore an Issey Isamayaki orange zip-up in pants. It's that pleated designer that we've seen him wear before. It looked good, it looked fine. Um, And his second outfit was an AGR knit sweater, which was like a reddish orange, purplish ombre sweater and gray track pants. Also fine, he looked good, it was a fine outfit. Um, And it wasn't that warm there, so a sweater is probably appropriate. Um, And then he wore a Lacoste mint green, green, green mustard track suit, which honestly made him look like he was an extra on Stranger Things. And finally, (laughs) this one kills me. Finally, he wore an outfit that was straight up from the Montclair and JW Anderson collab. Okay, so it was like a yellow mustard pants, a white oversized t-shirt with like a green dots that were acid wash on the shirt and a bright yellow knitted bucket hat with bright blue dots on it. Honestly, it looked like the color palette was inspired by an episode of Blue's Clues. Like, on one hand, can't fault Lewis too much because he straight up took it off the runway, this entire outfit from head to toe. But also, you can kind of fault him because there were so many other outfits to choose from. It's an absurd outfit, any way you look at it. Um, So that's at the bottom of my list this week, but... A uh, close second is from Charles, actually, who showed up um, head to toe in a designer called Namis. Namis? I don't know how to pronounce it. Top was like a basic graphic tee, but my issue lies with his bottoms, which were cable knit white cashmere basketball shorts, which I can see possibly working as loungewear, but to wear like outdoors, like what? is the function of these shorts like what do you do in them like what weather are they meant for what what is their purpose i I, i'm truly baffled by these cashmere cable knit shorts it looks like a hot water bottle cover that it just shouldn't be in shorts form anyway so as per usual Guan Yu wins for me personally but lewis lost in a major way (laughs) (laughs) and with one outfit all right lap two fernando's birthday uh fernando turned 41 uh as otmar put it happy birthday 41 for the number 14 (laughs) amazing awkward as always um he got a tiramisu cake, which they posted on Instagram and he's grinning with a thumbs up. It's like a very basic cake, but I will give props to this cake because a tiramisu is like a very specific cake to make for someone. So it's clearly a fave of his. So if they made him his favorite cake, then that wins over any fancy cake that they've made other people that make no sense. Also, the people that wish Fernando a happy birthday include um, Esteban, Guan Yu, Carlos, and Carlos Sr. I'm um, glad to see the Spanish drivers are all sticking close together. Uh, another great Fernando moment was uh, Alpine posted a video of Esteban and Fernando playing rock, paper, scissors. But for the first half of that video, Esteban has to teach Fernando how to play rock, paper, scissors because he's never played. Uh, <laughs> Don't know how you're 41 and I've never played a game of rock, paper, scissors, but, uh, Fernando won and, like, finished the game with, like, the shrug, like, duh, like, why wouldn't I win? Um, but it was quite amusing to watch Esteban attempt to explain rock, paper, scissors to him and being just confused how he has to do that. <laughs> Lap three, Sebastian Vettel. So, despite telling us literally a week ago that he is not planning on going anywhere. He's sticking around for a while. Um, On Thursday, Seb announced that he's retiring from F1 via a brand new Instagram page because he wasn't on Instagram before. So he created an Instagram page and posted these two videos, black and white, several minutes long. It's the same video, just one's in German and one's in English, where he um, announces his retirement, talks about what the sport means to him and how he is excited for what's to come. which is heartbreaking. And the amount of tributes that flooded social media was wild. It just reminded me of when um, Kimmy retired. Lando said in an interview, he was asked what it means to him and he's like, "Um, I've never spoken to (laughs) Kimmy. The same can clearly not be said for Seb. Even like Guan Yu, who has literally been here for half a minute, was able to post a tribute and say something about him, clearly having interacted with him. Um, Everyone has incredible stories about him. Um, There was a bunch of TikTok videos created to like sad music about all his times and about like what's to come and how much we love him. And a box messaged me being like, like I get it's a big deal that he's retiring, but he's not dying. Um, And it truly feels like he's just straight up dead (laughs) based on some of these tributes. And I cried more than once. Some of these really pulled at the whole, old heartstrings, but um, there's just, part of me wants to go through every single tribute, wants to go through every single Seb moment, but like, it's just not, not enough justice can be done in a two minute segment. So I've decided that I'm going to dedicate a mini episode to Seb to chat about his career, um, some of the best dedications and tributes that I've seen of him online, and also to review some of our favorite subtle Seb moments, subtle activism to his subtle jokes, to his like subtle icon status. Subtle Seb for sure deserves an entire episode. For now, I'll just say this is a very bittersweet moment. I'm so happy I got this little time with Seb, and I can't wait to review all his best moments, all his best jokes, all his best best everything um, in the Subtle Seb episode to come. Anyway, that concludes our digital warm-up. Do-do-do. Now on to the race rhyme. Welcome to the Hungarian Grand Prix. Where it might rain, it's an F1 guarantee. In quali, both Red Bull engines fail, which is unlucky. And George gets his first pole ever. Way to go, buddy! On race day, it's lights out and away we go. Will it rain? We'll know in a few laps or so. Lap 1, Alex and Lance cause a virtual safety car. On that restart though, George is a shining star. He leads the race for a while and defends against Charles with style. But Charles is the fastest man on track, ain't no one getting in the way of his attack. But when Charles does well, guess who comes along? It's Mattia and his crew, ready to get strategy all wrong. Naturally, off go the good mediums and in comes the hard tire, Ferrari loves turning a fiery performance into a dumpster fire. Elsewhere in the midfield, the Alpines battle, and for a moment, Danny overtakes both like he's herding cattle. Otherwise, the best thing today is Max Verstappen. He goes from P10 to P1 despite that spin that happened. At the end, Lewis overtakes George into P2 like a pro. Shout out D2 Valtteri's smooth assist, DNFing with one lap to go. As our top three pass the checkered flag, it finally starts to rain. We told you it was only a couple laps away, now pop the champagne. Well, that's a wrap on the Hungarian GP. Time for a quick break before a spa. Yippee! Woohoo! All right, on to analysis. So, uh, free practice on Saturday was pretty wet, but the rain stopped in time for qualifying. Um, The biggest thing that happened really was that Max seemed to have lost power completely in Q3, so he ended up in P10 despite making it all the way to Q3. And the other big moment was that Ferrari was set to be top two with Carlos on pole. And then literally the clock goes to zero. People are just finishing up their laps. Everyone was already talking like Carlos was got a second pole, that it was all done. And then George takes pole at like the last second. And it was so cool. And the best moment was his engineer went on the was like, you made it. And George is like, woo. Um, so really happy for him. Um, the rest of the results are George, P1, Carlos, P2, Charles, P3, Lando, P4, Esteban, P5, Fernando, P6, Lewis P7, Valtteri, P8, Daniel, P9, and Max, P10. The following day, though, uh, race A, Pierre actually got an engine change, and since he has already exceeded the legal amount of changes he had to start from the pit lane both max and Checo also got engine changes but since they have not yet changed um exceeded the quota for the year they didn't have to start at the back of the grid they instead got to start where they qualified so max was in p10 and Checo was in p11 Okay, so this race was kind of weird. My friend described it as random, and I feel like that's the best word to encapsulate the day. It was kind of all over the place, so going through it chronologically doesn't really make sense. Instead, I'm going to discuss the race by focusing on important race moments and the overall performance for the top teams as well as the midfield. So first, I think I'm going to cover the big incidents that happened during the race. There weren't many, but... um, the first one was in lap one when Alex Albin and Lance Stroll got con- had contact and there was debris everywhere. Alex was literally dra- dragging a chunk of the car along with him on the ground. So uh, the virtual safety car came out, but that only lasted like two laps. And then around lap six, uh, Kevin got a black and orange flag because half of his car was hanging off. Uh, so he had to pit, but it didn't really stop race time. And the very final yellow flag was at the very end of the race, like lap 68, Valtteri had to retire. He pulled over to the side of the road, so it was a very brief virtual safety car, but it basically solidified the end of the race. There was nothing to do about it because once it picked up, there was one lap left. Um, but also important to know, there were like three spins, so the track was definitely damp from something. It didn't rain until like the last lap of the race, and the last time it had rained was like the previous morning, so whether it was left over from the day before or if it was imaginary water, uh, people were spinning left and right. So something was odd about the track for sure. So pit and tire strategy were pretty important during this race. Um, we went into the race anticipating rain. Uh, we did get rain during the last lap, but obviously that didn't affect the rest of the race, though it didn't stop every single engineer the entire race going, oh, two more laps. Oh, there it comes. You know, it's right around the corner, and then it wasn't around the corner. So it's like their favorite thing to do. But um, it did feel like it was getting damper because, as we said, people were spinning, and the drivers drivers are actually complaining about it on the radio. Um, but... But despite the fact that it hadn't rained, there was still significantly cooler conditions. So that kind of almost made the tire strategy seem relatively straightforward. Hard tires were the least favorable options. And even though some teams did experiment with it, it didn't really lead to anything great. Maybe it would give them like a neutral result, but overall nothing good happened from the hard tires. Um, It was clearly not the best tire to choose and the best options were medium and the soft and at that point just became about finding the right pit strategy so that you could make the most out of the medium and the soft tires. And um, the ideal situation would have been a two-stop strategy obviously, with the medium and then switching to the soft, but that didn't really work out for many teams. People had random strategies. Alpine went for a a one-stop strategy with the second stint of the race being on hards, but it was the bulk of the race. They pitted like lap 20-ish and then went the rest of it on hards, which was okay. They didn't really have the best results from that. They didn't beat McLaren, Um, but I believe Red Bull had a three-stop strategy, and so there was some dif- differentiation, but one thing that seemed to be, like, a hard degree is that hard tires were not the way to go. Unless you're Ferrari. Um, and we'll get to disi- dissecting Ferrari in a second, but needless to say, their strategy game was, like, not on point today, nor was their pit stop game. Um, in fact, speaking of pit stops, they were kind of all over the place. They were either really, really slow, like, weight threes over into fours, or Some teams banged out stops under three seconds. McLaren had like a 2.4 one, I think. Uh, Red Bull obviously had a good one, and even Ferrari had one good one. But overall, it was kind of, there was no like average ones They were either really good or kind of bad. All right, let's talk about the midfield. So at this point, the midfield battle is basically just McLaren and Alpine, uh, the top five passed through the midfield quite often today, actually, especially since Red Bull started in 10th and 11th and Ferrari kept falling behind at various points. But to be honest, the focus here in the midfield was really just McLaren and Alpine and their races with each other. So let's start with Alpine. Um, Just a quick throwback to Hungary 2021. It was Esteban's first race win, and it also gave us the iconic photo of Fernando lifting him up in a hug in celebration. Uh, Very cute moment, very wholesome. But um, it seems a year on, they are displaying far less camaraderie, at least on the track, First up, at the very beginning of this race, Fernando literally goes on the radio and says, never in my life I saw a defense like Esteban. Uh, Clearly, Esteban is not defending like a lion. (laughs) But uh, in Fernando's defense, Esteban was kind of all over the tracks. And overall, throughout the race, both Fernando and Esteban pulled out the Alpine specialty, a train, and um, sometimes it was like an entire team, so it would be like, alpine on either end and then a red bull sandwich in the middle or a mclaren someone was always somehow stuck behind an alpine and the reason i think also it seemed like alpine was always in the mix of it is because they somehow were like the gatekeepers to the pit lane exit so it felt like every time someone exited the pit lane and back on track alpine was just there it was just like alpine territory so every time they'd have to overtake or came out right ahead and so they were mentioned every single time but to be honest despite the fact that they were always in the mix of it it seemed like fernando and esteban were kind of distracted by each other and they weren't really paying much attention to anyone else it's been a trend with them for like a couple of weeks but it became kind of very obvious today when um, after Esteban's pit stop around lap 24, which was 4.6 seconds, by the way, he came out right next to Fernando and Daniel, and Esteban and Fernando almost seemed kind of distracted by each other to the point where Daniel literally overtook them both in one fell swoop, which was a great move by Daniel. But yeah, Fernando and Esteban are being kind of weird. Like, they're still... Competitors, especially within the midfield, like they're still a good competition, and they're certainly McLaren's biggest competitor, but they're acting kind of weird. Um, speaking of McLaren, though, this one's kind of tough to talk about. They're kind of like a nothing burger this year. They're they're there and they're hustling in the midfield, but there it's like little to write home about. They can't they can't really explain it, and they can't really get the car to where it needs to be. And any successes that they've had, like Lando's podium almost seems like an accident. I guess that's not really fair. It's it's probably luck and driver skill, but they don't really have the car to back up those successes, is kind of what I mean. Um, anyway, like I said, their main rivalry has been with Alpine this year, who unfortunately have a much, much stronger car, so it really does seem to come down to luck and skill. Um, first, let's talk about daniel he actually qualified ninth which is really great for him and he was doing relatively well during the race of course there was that moment with alpine when he overtook both cars in one go and before i continue i just really need to call this out it was really annoying when he did that the commentators went welcome back daniel like can we calm down on the daniel front like he's here yeah he's been struggling but it's not like a shock when he does a great move because he is a great driver and we all know that. It's not like he does one good overtake and it's like, oh, we have to say he's back. He hasn't gone anywhere. And it's also not indicative that he's suddenly gonna like win every race. Like, let's just leave Daniel alone. He's a good driver that can't seem to follow through, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't have good moments throughout the race. It just kind of peeved me when they said that. Anyway, besides that great moment, luck was again, not really on Daniel's side. And like the second half of the race, around lap 47, Lance tried to overtake Daniel, and they touched, um, and Lance spun. So we've been asking for it all year, and they've pretty much delivered. But the race directors have been very consistent with their rulings this year, and they found Daniel to have caused the spin, which is consistent with their previous rulings in other races. And of course, that landed Daniel a five-second penalty— which is classic stew. Um, And this obviously set him back and he ended up finishing the race in 15th. Uh, Needless to say, post-race Daniel said that he's more than relieved to be heading into the summer break. And we did, to be fair, see what the break did for Daniel and his performance last year. He came back and like devoured Monza. So we can only send positive vibes his way and hope it's a repeat of next year, of last year. this year. So let's talk about Lando now. He had a slightly better day than Daniel, which to be honest, wasn't the hardest. Uh, he started his race in P4, which was really good for him. Um, and it also sent the British pundits into a tizzy because there were three British drivers in the top five. Oh my God. Uh, but that was short lived because like lap 11-ish, uh, he was, Lando was already in an intense battle for P4 with Hamilton and Max, who had at this point worked his way up from P10. Uh, Hamilton overtook Lando and was immediately followed by Max. Um, the commentators described that in-between situation quite colorfully by saying, uh, Lando ha- Lando's driving as he saw Verstappen menacingly in his mirrors. Verstappen's always menacing for them. That's anyone can be in your rearview mirrors, but for stopping is menacing. But it also got them like super excited about how this generation's car allows drivers to follow far closer than ever before. Um, a few weeks ago, when Dias was on uh, for Silverstone, he made a bold claim that this was actually just an aggressive marketing push from F1 to make it seem like the new upgrades were actually really good for overtaking this year than in years past. But it's not necessarily the case. Uh, So I really need someone to do like a comparative analysis of last year and this year to see which one had better had more overtakes. But I will say it does feel like we're getting a lot more side-by-side action this year than we have in previous years. Um, Anyway, the rest of Lando's race was pretty, like, humdrum. His main concern was staying ahead of the Alpines, which he successfully did. He finished in P7 ahead of both Esteban and Fernando. And his post-race reaction was, like, shrug. Because, like, what can he actually say? He doesn't suck like he did at the beginning of the season, but he's also not, like, storming the castle, you know? So, like... All you can do is like, yeah, I'm fine. He was like, I'm a, I'm a holiday, and then I'm, I'm gonna work during the summer break. So it was just like, he's not disappointed, but he's also not whooping with joy. And that kind of summarizes McLaren this year. <laughs> All right, let's go on to Ferrari. <sighs> not much I can say ahead of this. Just, Just gonna dive in because Let's start with Carlos. Uh, Lucky for him, he escaped the full wrath of terrible decisions made by Ferrari today. But he did fall victim to a shitty Ferrari pit stop, uh, which from Matias POV is the best pit stop ever done. Um, But this very lengthy pit stop did more or less cost Carlos a podium position. Uh, So he did start in P2 and he put up a great challenge to George, though eventually uh, Ferrari ended up making a pretty good pit stop call for Charles, which actually landed Carlos behind his own teammate. Um, He was basically called in for a pit at one point, but it turned out to be a fake out. At first it felt like he was completely ignoring them. And then we realized that Ferrari was, I guess, trying to trick Mercedes and they fell for it. So George uh, came in, although to be fair, There is the possibility that Mercedes was already planning to do a pit stop, but um, it kind of seemed like they just fell for Ferrari's thing. Um, So George came in, and then Carlos followed immediately to attempt an overcut. Uh, But after that, it kind of seemed like Carlos spent half his time battling for P2. But unfortunately, around lap 46, he had a four point second pit stop, which sort of halted any chance for him to podium. And he ended up finishing P4, so he got so close, but um, not quite there. So overall, not a bad day for Carlos, but it's also not that great a day for him either. So um, compared to Charles, Carlos had an epic day. Uh, Charles actually starts out with a pretty good race. His first pit stop goes amazing. He's setting fastest laps. He is the man on track. Um, His first epic moment is in battle with George, which goes on for several minutes, and George actually puts up a really good fight. So good, in fact, that the commentators really felt the need to say that George is being feisty, but it might not be total heartbreak for Charles Leclerc. And I would personally like to request for us to go at least one race without the word heartbreak and Charles being used in one sentence, because they 100% jinxed him. What followed was not quite as big a heartbreak as in uh, races past, but it certainly was up there in terms of disappointments. Uh, So Charles Charles was basically leading the race at this point. He was really pumping out fast lap after fast lap. Everything was going great. And in full honesty, I went to the bathroom and then I came back and shit hit the fan and I had no idea what was going on so I had to rewind and in the space it took me to pee, um, Ferrari had decided to call Charles in for a pit stop, out of the blue, completely random. He kept trying to repeat on the radio that his tires feel fine, um, and it certainly looked that way to us and to the commentators and to perhaps everyone besides Ferrari, um, who didn't seem to notice that he was the fastest human there. Um, but Ferrari called him in anyway and put him on hard tires. And we talked about this during our tire and pits stop strategy debrief, but hards are a no-go. There was, was just a hard no on hards. Um, it had been tested by other teams. We saw not great results, usually poor results. Um, and basically, later on, Christian was asked about it, and he was like, well, I looked up, and I could see this was not the day for hards. Uh, Mattia clearly didn't look up no one there looked up because they put Charles on they put Charles on hards and some of the great reactions were the commentator saying well that's brave and then a couple laps later "Have Ferrari made a bit of a blunder um, and then Charles gets on the radio and goes these tires are shit they were shit he had zero grip he couldn't do anything for um, He went from fastest man on track to being passed over and over and over again. Made zero sense. Pretty tragic. Um, The funniest reaction to all of this, though, (laughs) was Matthias straight up leaving the pit wall. Like, peace. I'm out of here. He did return, like, several laps later. I don't know if he, like, took the moment to scream into a black void or he took a shot of grappa, did something to... um, recover because he clearly needed a moment. This was a lot for him. Um, anyway, lap 54, Charles was boxed again, um, and he managed to finish sixth, but it's just kind of depressing. <laughs> um, after the race, some uh, Toto actually came to the defense of Ferrari and said that they didn't really make a mistake today. They actually made the mistake earlier this weekend because they did not have a set of new mediums to put Charles on. And it was too early for softs. And so they had no choice but to put him on hards, which would be a valid defense if Charles needed to pit. The, he shouldn't have been called into pit at all. He was still fine on his tires. So really, the mistake was calling him into pit. And then once he had come into the pit lane, they had no choice but to put whatever tires they had. But he shouldn't have been called in at all after the race charles was asked um could you please explain the strategy that you guys used today and charles just went um not yet um and then he went on a little bit of a tirade not tirade but he was like oh, it's kind of sad because i had a great first half but no one's gonna remember the first half because they'll just remember what a disaster my second half of the race was which is true i remember how amazing his first half was but it's certainly overshadowed by how tragic his second half was. Um, and then the this is the same interviewer that basically asked Charles if he was in therapy. This interviewer needs to, like, pull back on the intrusive questions. But she was like, so tell me exactly what you're going to talk about with your team later. Uh, what exactly will you say to them? And Charles is like, um, well, we'll talk about it. And then basically walked away. But in the middle of that interview, George did interrupt Charles, gave him a quick hug, and just went unlucky, which is one way to put it. <laughs> Another way to put it is that Ferrari needs to get their shit together. Carlos was also asked um, about what he thinks of external criticism about the Ferrari strategy and he basically thinks it's wrong he said like for example today when you're struggling with race pace um strategy doesn't really matter he's like I did have a slow pit stop I don't know if you want to count a slow pit stop as strategy um on one hand it sounds like Carlos is being super corporate like that was a George response almost but on the other hand that was basically Carlos's race today and I kind of feel like he probably wasn't up to speed on what happened to Charles yet um and he probably really should focus on his own race and if he wasn't fucked in this particular race he shouldn't upset ferrari i suppose but really i feel like he just didn't know yet what happened and this was and the only thing that messed him up was the slow pit stop so that's what he commented on overall ferrari continues to be a joke (laughs) and um we can only hope and pray that the summer break will give them some new perspective and they'll come back and have the best strategy on the grid but it might be too little too late and also better not to get our hopes up because we know what ferrari's like fool me once shame on you fool me twice still shame on you ferrari get your shit together all right, let's move on to Mercedes. So Mercedes had a pretty mediocre Friday and Saturday, certainly a crappy Friday. Wasn't a great qualifying for Lewis, but um, they pulled through during the race and um, it seems like they can't necessarily explain what's happening slash they want to stick with the narrative. Like they don't can't exactly explain what's happening, um, but they are competing at the front and they seem to be consistently doing that. Um, so something's going right, whether they know what it is, um whether they don't know what it is or whether they're pretending not to know what it is even though they do know what it is so let's start with george first of all he had the first mercedes poll of the year he also had his first poll ever so that's pretty great for him and mercedes um it was really cute to see him up there um and it was really sweet to hear the radio message with his engineer who seemed just as excited as he was Sunday, he got a pretty decent start. Carlos did give him a run for his money, um, and it did seem like George was starting to struggle a bit to keep on the racing line. But what did save George was the virtual safety car in lap one, so he really wasn't struggling for that long. Um, But we saw last week how quick he is on the restart, and this week was no different. Chaco tried to blame it on his software or whatever the virtual safety car dingling in his car that lets him know that it's over. Um, Was Carlos having the same issue? Because George zoomed off, got a pretty good head start over Carlos as soon as the green flag hit the track. Um, And he, yeah, he could build quite a good distance between him and Carlos. His big battle with Charles, which we talked about a little earlier, um, but I really want to talk about it from George george's perspective because dude does a great defense it took nearly four laps of attempted overtakes by charles who was in a faster car to make it stick and the way that george was able to anticipate moves and block charles over and over again was really impressive um he also had another good battle for p2 with carlos but really his next big moment was after charles second pit stop he was closing in on charles menacingly Like, they didn't use the word menacingly, but I'm going to use it on George. It's not just Max who can be menacing. Um, But really, Charles just couldn't handle it this time, and George was able to overtake quite easily. Like, Charles could do nothing. His tires were useless. Um, But despite looking like today might be the day for him to win his first race. It really wasn't meant to be for George. Um, He managed to hold on to P2 for quite a bit, almost till the very end. Uh, but Lewis was closing in on him for a while, and George did defend quite well. I'm sure Alonzo would describe it as defending like a lion. Uh, but in lap 65, Lewis overtook him into second place, and it didn't seem like it was on team orders. Um, so George finished in third again, which is still really great despite what the day promised. And he didn't actually seem too down about it, which is also good that his attitude is confident moving forward could have been putting on a brave front. I'm sure he was disappointed, but he was still smiling and he still got another podium finish. And of course he has finished top five in every single race that he has finished. So George is just on the up and up. All right, let's talk about Lewis a bit. Um, He had a pretty bad qualifying. He started the race in P7, but he actually had a very good race. He fought his way up to P3, and obviously that fluctuated given pit stops and having slow pit stops himself. Um, but Charles' entire situation really allowed him to get ahead and fight for podium position. Um, his greatest moment today was probably his battle with George when he finally overtook him by trying to go round the outside and then switching back to the inside. The old switcheroo, as the pundits like to call it. Um, Unfortunately, this move seems to keep happening to George. He's really good at defending um, until it's been several laps and then suddenly someone pulls the old switcheroo on him. Um, So hopefully George learns from that, but it was uh, cool to see them battling. Also, I did like that almost right after Lewis overtook George, Valtteri just happened to DNF, which basically caused the virtual safety car to come out and stay basically until the last lap of the race, which conveniently left no time for anyone to overtake Lewis. So Valtteri may have switched teams, but he continues to be a very unnecessarily loyal D2. Always there for Lewis. Um, Also, just need to shout out Lewis's post-race interview, which always delivers. He said, just wanna say thank you to our team for working so hard. Uh, Great way to go into the break, knowing we could challenge the guys up front when we get back. Oh, Lewis, you're challenging them now. (laughs) You're challenging them now. You're not like, it's not like a surprise. You've been challenging them for weeks. Um, And then he ends with, enjoy the summer, guys. Uh, and then he got asked what he's going to be doing this summer break, and he said, oh, yes, of course, um, I will be training. <laughs> also want to shout out Toto's post-race interview where he said, um, where he talked about how he felt on Friday. And he was like, every year we sort of prepared for the concept of losing, but it's not quite the same as actually losing because losing sucks. Uh, There was a moment on Friday when I wasn't the best me, and then he went on a rant about studies that have been done on the difference between exuberance and depression, which is the most total thing to ever happen. Uh, But yeah, Mercedes is on the up and up whether they want to admit that it was self-engineered or not. They for some reason want to keep pretending it's an accident, but Mercedes is definitely putting pressure on Ferrari for keeping the Constructors' Championship in the next half of the season for sure all right let's talk about red bull red bull had quite a few issues during quality both cars suffered with engine issues which put them in p10 max and p11 Checo. both cars ended up getting an engine change but since they haven't met the limit for the year yet they were both able to start the race where they qualified Chaco, that was P11, and his race was a bit less interesting than Max. Um, Yes, it continued to be a difficult race for him, which is a bit hard to watch considering what a strong season start he had. But he still managed to finish P5, which is relatively close to the podium. And he was always in the mix of it. So he's not, like, discounted at all. But I hope that the break gives him some time to rest and to come back as strong as he was when the season first started. Also, side note... um, Checo was always in the mix during the race, as I said, but this seemed to like really translate to post-race because in the media pen, the interviews that F1 was doing, um, it seemed like Checo was always in the background. He was lurking behind, sipping on his water. I don't know if people kept cutting in front of him or if he was just trying to listen in or just didn't know where to go, but he was straight up behind every person, just jimming the camera as in Jim from The Office. Is gymming a word? <laughs> anyway, it was amusing. Okay, so uh, let's talk about Max a little bit. So he had a bit of a more exciting race than Chaco. He started in P10, and in like 10 laps, he had made his way up to the P- to the top four. Uh, also, Charles's tire situation really gave Max an easy pass forward as well. Um, he overtook Charles around lap 45-ish, and literally almost as soon as he passed Charles, and everyone was going, woohoo, Max, and everyone was going, oh man, Charles, Uh, Max spun. Like he did a full 360 and then just kept driving. (laughs) It had zero effect on his race. Uh, And so by lap 51, uh, Max was in first and he kept it. He was clearly the fastest car on track at this point. He was also the most consistent on track uh, and he was able to finish the race in first. his engineer, I talked about this a bit last week, about how his engineer seems to have been trained to only say understood to everything. Like, earlier in the race, Max went, I think it might be drizzling. And his engin- engineer went, uh, understood. Uh, Max just wants to, like, have a bit of a chat as he coasts through these races. But it sounds like his engineer might be scarred from radio conversations of the past so he's sticking to understood um but he did show a bit of emotion for max winning he got sort of like a well done from his engineer max can basically always count on a good chat with christian they had like a full-blown conversation that ended with christian going it's a great way to head into summer although it doesn't feel like summer and max goes could use some sun (laughs) haha so i'm really glad max was able to get his weather chat in he's been trying to do that for the entire race uh Later on in post-race interviews, Christian actually went so far as to say that he thinks this is Max's best race yet. Uh, It's honestly becoming quite difficult to label Max's best races because he literally just flies ahead with no mistakes. Like, he's so good it's almost boring, which is a good thing. I don't want him like landing on top of people's cars or anything. <laughs> but like, he's just very, very good every single time. Cause it's like, it's not just about being a really good driver, it's also about having the consistency. That's what always made Lewis so great. And it seems like Max is heading in that direction as well. So it's great to see him maturing his driving style and abilities and honing that skill set into just being consistently so good. Alright, so a little on post-race, uh, Lewis did actually stay in the cool down room this time around. He and Max had a full conversation before George even arrived. Uh, and same with the podium, they mostly sprayed their own teams, but towards the end they started spraying each other. And honestly, I can't help but like, read into these interactions, and I think we can read into them when it comes to most drivers, actually, but... When it comes to Max and Lewis in particular, there's just, like, no point. I saw an Instagram post of the two of them on the podium next to each other with the caption, Nature is healing. But, like, was there even anything to heal between them? Max didn't make the call at the end of Abu Dhabi. He just benefited from it and reveled in the win like anyone else would. Um, Max and Lewis's relationship hasn't really changed. They've always kind of been civil and respectful respectful, off track for sure. Things got a bit fuzzy last year, but that was sort of a consequence of their environment more so than them. Um, they're not friends and they don't have to be friends. Standing next to each other in the podium doesn't demonstrate anything one way or the other. Anyways, uh, for me, the best part of the cool down room today was when they were watching the replays and Charles was on, and I think it was Lewis who shouted out, he went on the hard. As they show Charles's pit stop, and the other two gave this side-eye nod, like right, because <laughs> no one can believe it. All right, let's quickly go through the results. All right, so uh, Max first, Lewis with the fastest lap in P two, then George, Carlos, Checo, Charles, Lando, Alonso, Esteban, and Seb in P ten. Lance is in P eleven, so Seb managed to finish the job from the French Grand Prix. Um, for those who don't remember, Seb attempted an overtake within like sight of the checkered flag over uh, Lance into P10 and he failed. This, this race he managed. Uh, the driver of the day officially is Max. You can't really argue with that. He was phenomenal. But unofficially, I'd like to shout out George who got pole for the first time and he had some pretty epic battles today. Like he is the king of defense, in my opinion. Oh, well, he's close to the Minister of Defense. He's under Minister of Defense. First comes Chaco, George's George's training. All right, dick in the box box. Yeah, it's still Ferrari. Um, If Ferrari's goal is to be the butt of the joke every single week, then their strategy is fantastic. If their goal is to turn Charles into a walking Lana Del Rey song, then they're succeeding. But if their goal is to actually be the best, not just say it, but actually be the best, then they're failing harder than the hard tires they forced onto poor Charles today. Disaster, get your shit together, Ferrari. All right, the standings. Uh, First is Max with 258 points, followed by Charles with 178 points, followed by Checo with 173 points, so he is only five points away from being second. Um, Then is George with 158, Carlos with 156, Lewis with 146, uh, Lando with 76, and it's just all under 100 from there. Uh, The constructor standings are currently Red Bull with 431, Ferrari with 334, Mercedes with 304, Alpine with 99, McLaren with 95, and so on and so forth uh alpine and mclaren for sure can battle it out for fourth p3 in the constructors is going to go to either ferrari or mercedes at the rate that mercedes is going they will likely take second um i don't think anyone is catching up to red bull at this point uh but ferrari if ferrari gets their shit together perhaps but i do think that Mercedes has a very high chance of making it to P2 unless Ferrari gets their shit together. That's it for the Hungarian Grand Prix. Uh, We're headed into the summer break now. As promised, I'm going to work on getting some guests lined up for when we return. Otherwise, I'm going to do a couple mini episodes during the break. Like I mentioned at the beginning, um, I'll probably do a Seb episode. I might do a movie review. Um, If you've got a request for a summer break episode or a suggestion for a potential guest, email me, DM me. In the meantime, make sure you follow me on social media and subscribe to the podcast so you know when the next episode comes out. Uh, you can reach out to me on any platform. It's all box, box, F one pod uh, And yeah, I can't wait to hear from you. I've had a wonderful first half of the season, and I can't wait to see you guys after the summer break. Uh, see you soon, BoxBox. Box.